Welcome back to Adherent Apologetics, everyone. As always, we're brought to you by you with your support on patreon.com slash Apologetics. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Liz Jackson. She's an assistant professor of philosophy at Ryerson University. We're going to be talking all things Pascal and Pascal's wager. Um, Liz, <laughs> welcome. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, awesome. I'm really pumped to have you on. We're going to just basically just walk through Pascal's wager, everyone, and a lot of like contemporary objections and more common objections, all stuff like that. But I'm curious, like before we get into that, could you talk a little bit about like who you are and what you, who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. So, um, I mean, you covered the basic thing. I'm a, an assistant professor at um, Ryerson University in the philosophy department. So I teach philosophy, Ryerson's in Canada. Um, before that, I was a postdoc, which basically means you get paid to do research, so it's a super awesome job, um, actually at Australian National University. So I was um, in Australia, actually not for the whole year because of COVID slash fires, oh. but I did spend a good amount of last year in Australia. And then before that, I did my PhD in philosophy at Notre Dame. Um, and then before that, I went to school in Kansas and did my undergraduate degree there. So. In terms of my main philosophical interests, they're mainly in epistemology and philosophy of religion. So my dissertation was on the relationship between belief and confidence, or um, what philosophers often call credence. But I'm also interested in like evidence and evidentialism and disagreement and some issues in kind of social epistemology. And then I'm also interested in philosophy of religion. And specifically, I think the main way I often will summarize my main interest in philosophy of religion is kind of what makes a Christian commitment rational. Mm -hmm. And a commitment could involve a belief, but doesn't have to. And that kind of sums up both my interest in kind of faith and faith rationality. Um, how could faith be rational, but in some sense kind of go beyond the evidence? And then also uh, Pascal's wager, which we're going to talk about today. So. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. Um, we're going to walk through it. And if anyone has questions, we'll be sure to answer any questions or super chats, anything like that. Um, towards the end, I'm curious, though, before we get into like the philosophy stuff, I know you're talking about you like basketball um, beforehand. Do you have a favorite team? I'm, I'm curious. It just kind of came to mind as you were talking. Yeah, that's a really good question. So I actually, when I was at Notre Dame, I was obsessed with the Notre Dame women's basketball team. Mm -hmm. And I'm a very social person, but I would literally sometimes just go to Notre Dame women's games by myself just to watch them <laughs> because I love them so much. And my friend Becca uh, would go with me a lot, but when she wasn't around, I would just go. So I really love Notre Dame, men and women, but especially the women, because uh, some of you might know they're very good. Um, and then um, I also went to Kansas State University, so I, I like to cheer for them in basketball as well. In terms of an NBA team, um, you know, since I'm from Kansas, a lot of people were fans of the Thunder, but I just mm. never really got into that. So I think I follow more players than teams, but um, I guess now that I am technically uh, in Toronto, I have decided I'm a Raptors fan. <laughs> that just happens to coincide with them recently winning the finals, but I swear it has nothing to do with that. Are so, you sure? Um, I'm now on the Raptors bandwagon. <laughs> well, I'm a yeah. Sixers fan, and I remember that shot a couple years ago that like broke everyone's heart. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> we but, should have uh, another interview where we just talk about basketball. Oh, that'd, that'd be, be so fun. much fun. Or like play so. basketball. <laughs> <laughs> play basketball on screen. Like you have a hoop on your side and I'll have a ball and figure out how that all works. <laughs> at my old house at Notre Dame we just had like mini basketball hoops like all over the place because <laughs> I don't know I'm just a basketball nerd and I live with my friend Becca who is also a basketball nerd so we yeah. would just 
it was great. Anyway. <laughs> basketball thing was fun. But for everyone who's like, why are they talking about basketball? <laughs> we'll talk about philosophy. Um, so like, Pascal's wager is a really interesting thing. It's been around for a while. What got you interested in like studying Pascal's wager? Yeah, that's a really good question. So like I mentioned, I went to Kansas State University for undergrad, and I think that's kind of when I first got interested in the argument. Um, a lot of the faculty at Kansas State are really into like decision theory and in general kind of formal stuff within philosophy. And then a bunch of us um, undergrads were really interested in philosophy of religion. And so when you kind of bring those two together, the natural I don't know <laughs> if you if those two had a baby, <laughs> yeah. it would be Pascal's major. And so I think that's kind of what got me into it as I was thinking about decision theory and risk and, you know, how, how can this model our decisions rationally? Decision theory is basically just a formal model that we can use to kind of make decisions that uh, lets us kind of think about the risk and reward, uh, you know, given certain ways the world could be. Um, and then... Mm -hmm. Um, like I said, there was a group of us and actually Andrew Moon, who some of your viewers might have heard of, he's done some YouTube interviews, but he's a philosopher at Virginia Commonwealth University. He actually taught at Kansas State for one of the years I was there and he led like a philosophy of religion reading group. And so I think a lot of us actually got really interested in kind of Pascal's wager. And I think a lot of people hear the argument. We're going to say what the argument is in a second. And they think that can't be right. There's all these problems with it. But as we sort of talked about it and thought about it more, we were like, actually, there, there's pretty plausible answers to a lot of these, these common objections. And it might actually be a better theistic argument than a lot of people think. And as I kind of went to grad school and then did a postdoc, um, that actually my postdoc, one of the big themes was risk. So it actually was actually in some ways very related to Pascal's wager. Um, I think I started to see more and more like this is actually a really interesting argument. And um, I don't necessarily claim that like I have a perfect response to every single objection. Like I think there's some objections that that I'm really like, hmm, that's I want to think more about that, you know, mm -hmm. but I think it's underrated. I think a lot of people just dismiss it really quickly, um, but it has a lot more going for it than they think. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So let's just kind of like for a second, just like frame the wager in case like people are just don't know what this Pascal's wager is. If you were going to explain it, like what is Pascal's wager? Yeah, so the way I often like to explain the wager is kind of by contrasting it with other theistic arguments. Mm -hmm. So other theistic arguments like, you know, the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, fine tuning argument, those kinds of arguments. The conclusion of those arguments is just that God exists. And the Pascal's wager is different because the conclusion of Pascal's wager is instead that you should believe in God or you ought to believe in God. So it's a claim about what you ought to do or what you ought to believe rather than kind of a claim about the way the world is. And I do think the way the world is is, is relevant to Pascal's wager, of course, and we're going to talk more about this. But it's not a claim that God exists. It's a claim that you should believe in God. Um, so why think that? <laughs> like, what? Why should I believe in God? And I'm, the most basic version of the wager, although um, it's worth noting that actually, arguably, even Pascal himself gave a more complex version than this. And the version that I like is actually it's going to be more complex than this as well. But the most ba basic version of the wager basically says, look, um, either God exists or God doesn't exist. And there's sort of two things you can do or two ways you can respond to God's existence. You could believe in God or not believe in God. Um, so they're kind of, there's this two by two matrix. And some of your listeners are probably familiar with this. And then the thought is you kind of think about the risk reward trade-off. So if you believe in God and God exists, you go to heaven, you could get, you could gain, have an infinite thing to gain. 
Um, if you believe in God and God does not exist, um, you could go to hell, which is an infinite loss. Or even if you're annihilated, actually, Pascal's wager could still go through. And then if God does not exist, then whether you believe in God or not believe in God, um, what you gain or lose is going to be finite either way, because if God doesn't exist, there's not an afterlife. Um, at least the basic version of the wager assumes that. We can talk more about whether that's a good assumption. And so then the thought is, well, if you believe in God, you have an infinite gain. Um, if you don't believe in God, you have an in infinite loss. And if God doesn't exist, then either way, what you gain or lose is finite. So given this risk-reward trade-off, um, you should believe in God. Remember, it's not an argument that God exists. It's an argument that it's it's rational, it's practical to believe in God. So that's kind of the most basic version of the wager. Um, like I said, there's a lot of objections to that. We're going to talk about some of those. Um, but I think that's kind of the most simple version. Yeah, um, it's really helpful. I'm curious, like you talk about you have your version of the wager that's a little bit more complex. So like the version of the wager that you prefer, how is that different than like maybe the original wager that Pascal um, brought? And like what's, what's kind of like the version of the wager you would bring forward is like you think the most potent form of it. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I'll actually contrast the version of the wager we were just talking about with, I'm not a, a historian, I'm not an expert on, <clears throat> excuse me, Pascal, but I think Pascal's was actually slightly different than that version, and then I'll say actually the version that I prefer. So um, what I take Pascal to, to be doing is I think Pascal thinks he's basically set things up, so there's basically two live possibilities. Either atheism is true or Christianity is true. And both of those have roughly a 50-50 chance. Um, and so because of that, he says, well, then look, if you're choosing between atheism and Christianity and they're both roughly 50-50, you should be a Christian. Um, you should kind of pick Christianity as uh, the thing you wager on, right? Um, mm -hmm. And and so I think some people miss that and they just think Pascal just sets up this two by two matrix and that's it. But no, there's actually a lot of argumentation that kind of comes before that. Um, my version of the wager, I don't necessarily, I don't, I don't set it up the way Pascal does and I don't necessarily give an argument for Christianity at the beginning of it so that Christianity and atheism are the two main live options. Um, mm -hmm. Instead, what I do is I basically say, look, um, you should wager on the religion that you think is most likely to be true. And the power of Pascal's wager is that it gives us a reason to think that um, being an atheist or living life as an atheist or agnostic is, is practically irrational. But I'm not necessarily claiming that you should be a Christian or you should practice any certain religion. I kind of leave that up to you know, the wagerer. Mm -hmm. um, and what you could do is you could combine my argument with an argument that raises the probability of Christianity and makes it the religion that's most likely to be true. Um, and if you do that, then you could get an argument kind of like Pascal's that you should wager for Christianity. But I don't necessarily take myself to be giving a Christian wager necessarily. Um, so I think that's one important difference is that I basically say, wager for the religion you take to be most likely to be true. And that's the conclusion of my argument. But what's interesting is that it doesn't have to be a 50% chance. It doesn't have to be over some threshold. It just has to be the one you take to be most likely to be true. Um, it does have to be non-zero. And we're going to talk about that later. Um, so it does have to be, the religion's probability has to be greater than zero, but that's it. So it is It is kind of a strong claim. You could assign a very low probability mm -hmm. to it, and I still think you should wager. Mm -hmm. So that's one um, difference. Did, were you going to yeah, say something? Yeah, go, go ahead. No, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, the other difference, 
um, is that at least Pascal, um, well, so there, I guess I'll say this, there's two different ways to think about Pascal's wager. One is that it's an argument about what we should believe. And the most basic version of the wager that I kind of set up initially was believe in God, not believe in God, right? Mm -hmm. um, the other way you can think about Pascal's wager is that it's not an argument about belief at all, but it's an argument about how you should act. So it tells you that you should make a commitment to God, make a commitment to pursue a relationship with God or go to church or pray, you know, do these, these various things that um, constitute pursuing a relationship with God. And there's interesting um, reason to think that Pascal actually liked the action-y version. He, I think he says, go to mass and take holy water. Uh, you know, he, he was very open to kind of that action-y version of the wager. And my version of the wager is actually kind of neutral between both of those. Um, I think you can get a version of the wager going that does keep it about belief, that says you should believe in God. But I also like versions of the wager that are about action, about a commitment to pursue a relationship with God. So I think I'm more, I don't know if I want to say neutral on that. I guess I think maybe the wager gives us a reason to both believe and act. <laughs> but mm -hmm. uh, Pascal and, and some other philosophers want to make it the wager more about um, just action. So that's another mm. difference. Um, so we'll talk about some objections to the wager um, in a second here. But I'm curious, like, is there any differences in like how um, the objections may differ in like the, like the philosophy literature and from like like, like a atheist scholar versus like what you see like maybe like online or like in a blog or something like that? Is there differences in kind of like the objections that we work through as we're kind of gonna gonna go with some of these? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, a lot of I think a lot of people on YouTube like some mini gods objection and then they kind of think it's decisive. We're going to talk about what that is in a second. And they kind of like fully just dismiss Pascal's wager because of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think philosophers do talk about that objection. So in a way that is something that they have in common, but I think the discussion is like a little bit more, I guess maybe nuanced. I don't know. I don't want to talk down to people on YouTube. There's some awesome YouTube channels. So I'm not yeah. trying to say that, but I, I think, um, more philosophers think that's not just, we, we shouldn't just like throw the wager out just because uh, there's this possibility of multiple religions. So I think that's one thing to say. I guess another thing to say too, is that there's been a lot of really interesting discuss discussions about what Pascal's wager tells us about decision theory in general and how to deal with infinities in decision theory. And I, I do think, I think some people on YouTube might be talking about that, but I think it gets you into some interesting kind of technical, problems. You could see them as problems. You could just see them as kind of like interesting results, I guess, depending on, you know, your view of things. Um, but I think philosophers have focused more on kind of these technical kind of infinite decision theory issues. And I don't see that talked about as much on YouTube. So some people might be familiar with what's called the mixed strategies objection. It's kind of like a technical counterpart to the many gods objection. Um, but I don't, I, I, I almost see that objection never brought up um, on YouTube, mm -hmm. but that's a really, really common one in the philosophy literature. So that's just one example of that. So yeah. that's a good question. <laughs> I think it'd be great to go into like this many gods objection, because I think one of the most common things we'll see to an objection to Pascal is like, well, okay, well, there's so many gods. You have like Christianity and Islam and Judaism and all 3,000 other the gods mm -hmm. or something along those lines. So, like, how do you tackle the, the many gods objection to Pascal Wager? Yeah, good. So um, I think that's a really important objection. And part of the reason that it's important is because uh, different religions off like both offer heaven, but both also posit hell and practicing Christianity might not 
you know, send you to heaven if Islam is true mm -hmm. and vice versa. So uh, religions are what you might call maybe mutually exclusive or something like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how this objection gets it gets its force. If uh, there's two denominations of Christianity that both think the other, you know, is going to heaven, then that wouldn't matter as much. What would mm -hmm. matter is when the religions are mutually exclusive. And I've seen some people even on YouTube be like, which denomination should you pick? Should you be like a Calvinist? And that's not really relevant to the many gods objection. So mm -hmm. it's worth pointing that out. But there is there is these mutually exclusive religions. And Pascal's wager, um, at least that two by two matrix, I sort of initially set it up with. It doesn't tell us which religion to pick. Um, and <clears throat> so... And, and this gets into some of the stuff with infinite decision theory as well. And I'm not necessarily going to go into the technical details of that, but I like to give this kind of thought experiment to people. I think it's pretty helpful to see why I ultimately don't think this is just going to ruin our ability to kind of make decisions. And that's like, there's two doors in front of you. Uh, behind door number one, there's a 90% chance that you get infinite utility. You get something infinitely good. Um, and then behind door number two, there's also a chance that you get this infinite good, but it's a, only a 10% chance. And if you just say, well, look, there's all these religions, all these religions are saying you could, making these claims about heaven and hell, there's these infinite claims. Um, and like, so we just can't make any decisions. Uh, well, well, that doesn't seem to follow because it seems like you should pick the religion that gives you the higher chance at mm -hmm. getting the infinite good than the religion that gives you the lower chance. In the same way, you should clearly pick the 90 door over the 10 door. Just because they're both offering an infinite good doesn't make them equal, you know? Um, and so what the result that this has is that when it comes to Pascal's wager, this is kind of how I get when I said you should wager for the religion you take to be most likely to be true. This is how I get that result. Um, so you should kind of go for your highest chance at getting the infinite good. Um, and so in the Pascalian case, you should go for the religion that you think is most likely to be true. Um, so I think, um, again, there's, there's, there's different ways you can take this, but it's going to rule out most people from being an atheist or an agnostic, because I think most people are going to think it's very unlikely that, you know, atheists go to heaven and theists go to hell, for instance. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, and then you could combine this with arguments that raise the probability of Christianity, like, you know, arguments for the resurrection, stuff like that. Um, and then you could get an argument that you should wager on Christianity, or you could do that with another religion too. You could give an argument for some other religion that raises that probability. So then it would be kind of like premise one, wager for the religion you take to be most likely to be true. Premise two, you know, religion X is most likely to be true. Conclusion, therefore you should wager for religion X. But I think what's really interesting about this is that you don't have to like prove that that religion is true. You don't have to prove Christianity is true. You don't have to make it, you know, 90% or 99% probable. You just have to make it more likely than the other religions. So it takes a lot of the burden off of the evidential arguments. Um, and it also doesn't just get like, it gives you a reason to kind of commit your life. It doesn't just say God exists. It says you should believe in God. Um, or if you go for the action version of the wager, you should commit to God. So in a way, that's even a stronger claim. So, mm. Yeah, thank you. Um, I think it'd be good to bring up um, an objection here is like, why I think the probability of God is above zero. Um, you know, like there may be like, if you deny like say like the first premise of an ontological argument that like there's no possibility that God exists. Um, it kind of seems like you have this zero and it's like, well, then the, w the wager would kind of die then. Um, so like, why think that, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, why think mm -hmm. that I've just lost my words. I'm kind of tired from basketball. <laughs> I think it's like a, a probability greater than zero of like the existence of God, um, with, with regards to the wager. 
Yeah, that's a great question. So I guess one thing to note too is that there's different kinds of probabilities. Um, I don't want to get into this too much, but because you brought up the ontological argument, that often relies on um, like an objective probability or like a metaphysical necessity. But there's also kind of like epistemic probability and possibility. And um, something like that, or even like a subjective probability would be more of what the wager's concerned with. So I totally hear you on the ontological mm -hmm. argument, but I think you can kind of make that distinction and say, well, you know, even if it's necessarily true or necessarily false that God exists, um, if you're kind of in a situation where you don't know whether God exists or not, then there's at least some like epistemic probability of God existing. So we can we can make that distinction. I think that's helpful. Mm -hmm. um, but that's, you know, that's just about the ontological argument. Um, in terms of the probability being above zero, though, um, so I actually have a paper, it was one of the first papers I published, it's called Wagering Against Divine Hiddenness. Um, and in, I actually address this in that paper. And so I basically make three points that says, uh, again, why people should assign God's existence uh, a probability above zero. And I think these points would actually even have the result that you should assign a lot of the major world religions a probability above zero. Mm -hmm. um, so here's the three points. Um, the first is just the implication of the axioms of probability. So the axioms of probability say that you should only, um, or at least they imply that you should only assign probability zero to known contradictions or impossibilities. So for those who are interested, this fo follows from a theorem that's called regularity. But basically, um, unless something is like an explicit contradiction, like P or not P, or maybe an impossibility, like a ball that's blue all over and red all over at the same time, um, you shouldn't assign that thing probability zero. Otherwise, you'll be probabilistically incoherent. So this is this is just a very like <laughs> bare requirement of rationality that I think most probability theorists accept. Um, and so to assign God existing or to assign all religions probability zero, you would be violating that axiom. Uh, which, yeah, according to probability theory, you would then be irrational. Mm -hmm. So in my view, that's actually kind of a decisive reason not to. Uh, I think that's a pretty dang good reason that like most economists and people working in probability theory think that's irrational. Um, but I think there's two other reasons as well. Um, I think the other thing, like the, 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 the second thing is that there's just a lot of smart people who are theists and who are religious, um, philosophers, theologians, biblical scholars, others. Um, and I think that the fact that there is there is these smart people, a lot of philosophers working on the epistemology of disagreement uh, would argue that you should give that fact at least some weight. That doesn't mean you should just come to agree with them. That doesn't even mean you should like split the difference and meet them halfway. It just means that you should give that some kind of weight. Um, it's not going to prove theism is true, but I think it's a reason not to give it probability zero because of kind of these disagreement, these disagreement facts. Um, you know, when smart people argue for something, we should at least take that into consideration. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a weak claim. It's just saying it gives it, it, bo it boosts it a little bit over probability zero. <laughs> um, and then the final thing is, I think there is a lot of really interesting arguments for God's existence. Um, do these arguments prove that God exists? No, I'm not saying that. Do they make the probability that God exists like 0.999? I'm not saying that. Um, I don't even think these arguments have to be super compelling in order just to raise the probability that God exists a little tiny bit. Um, and there's been enough debate about this and enough controversy and enough back and forth that I think you can't just dismiss these arguments offhand and just say, mm -hmm. these are all terrible arguments. I'm just going to like ignore them all and sign it, um, you know, assign 
Christianity or theism probability zero, um, they raise the probability at least a tiny, tiny bit. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe even more than that, you know, that's kind of a question that philosophers are working on. But I think that's another reason not to assign um, the probability of God existing probability zero, so. So if we assign Christianity, say like a, a point zero, or just theism, point zero, 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 one, something like just very small, um, do you think you could still run the wager and get to like where it's like best to act or um, to believe as if God is God's existing? I do. I do. Um, this depends on your version of the wager, right? So if you have a version of the wager on which... Um, you don't, if you're, if you're scared of infinities, if you don't like infinities, there's people that do this. They say, we, let's get rid of infinities. I don't want to think about that. Um, let's just use finite numbers. Then um, whether a person with a probability that low should wager is going to just depend on what those finite numbers are. Um, but when you use finite numbers, that probability is going to have to meet some threshold in order to get the result that they should wager. So Mike Rhoda is uh, one of the big examples of this. He has a version of the wager where if you assign Christianity at least probability 0.5, you should wager. Um, but you could make it lower than that. It doesn't have to be 0.5, but 0 0.001 is pretty low, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, if you, like me, like infinities and like kind of the power they bring to Pascal's wager, then as long as that person, um, you know, took whatever religion as the one that's most likely to be true, even if that probability is really, really low, um, you can you can get the result that that they should wager. So that's what mm -hmm. I think is cool about my argument is that um, it can... I mean, it puts pressure on people not to be atheists and agnostic, but it also really interestingly, and maybe you might think this is counterintuitive at first, but um, if you're an atheist or agnostic, it can have the result that it's actually like totally rational for you to engage in certain kinds of religious practices. And you might think, if I don't believe God exists, then I clearly shouldn't like pray or go to church or read religious texts or anything like that. And the wager's like, no, that's actually that's actually perfectly rational for you to do. That's not irrational at all. So it tells you some interesting things about the relationship between belief and action. And mm. um, it's not just the things that we believe that we should act on. Sometimes even if something has a really low probability because there's like a big risk involved, uh, you should still act on it. So. Mm. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, we have a couple more objections we're going to look at, and then we'll answer any questions or super chats at the end. We saw some stuff coming in, um, but I'm curious. Uh, I think one more objection, not necessarily um, to the wager from like a philosophical perspective, but more of like a Christian perspective, is like, should we really like place our belief based on a wager? Uh, if you read like someone say, if you read the Bible, it seemed like that there's nothing like well, um, someone wagers that God ex that God exists, and they become a Christian because of that. Like, so how would you answer from like more of like a theological objection of just like we shouldn't be wagering on God's existence; we should just kind of like believe in a sense. Yeah, no, I love that question, um, and I think it's really good. So, <laughs> I guess uh, I hadn't planned to say this ahead of time, but I do think in terms of just scripture, one of the stories I really love is in Mark, where um, the man brings his daughter to Jesus to be healed, and he says, "I believe, help my unbelief." Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an example to me of someone who, uh, you know, they in some sense believe, but they also in some sense don't believe in. Um, they're kind of wagering on on Jesus, like like the stakes are really high, like his daughter's life is, you know, um, mm -hmm. at stake, and uh, he's struggling with doubt. He really is, uh, and so so I think there is some some biblical support for the idea that uh, like 
we should still, we can still continue in our commitment to God, even amidst going through serious doubt, um, especially intellectual doubt. I think there are different kinds of doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and in some places, like people say, like, doubt is a sin, blah, blah, blah. But I think that depends on the kind of doubt. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think, like, if you're struggling with the problem of evil, or you're struggling with the problem of divine hiddenness, and you're just like, how could God allow this? Um, in my view, I, I don't think that is all, always automatically a sin. I think that actually God wants us to wrestle through things like that. Mm -hmm. So that's more of like a, a theological note. Um, I think in terms of like the idea of placing bet on a, or sorry, like having faith on the basis of a wager or kind of making a bet in general, I think it's worth noting that wagering is actually something that we just have to do all the time whenever we're making a decision about something that's uncertain. Mm -hmm. So you could think about really mundane cases, like there's a 40% chance of rain tomorrow. Is it worth carrying around an umbrella with me all day in case it rains? You know, that's mm -hmm. wearing in a way if you decide to bring the umbrella. Um, there's more serious cases, like which car insurance should I buy? And then if you decide to get the cheaper car insurance, you're kind of wagering that you won't get in an accident, right? Um, but then there's even more serious ones, like you quit your, your day job to start your dream of maybe some new business plan you have. That's a huge risk you're taking and you're wagering kind of on yourself and your employees. Um, but I don't think that that's, that's bad or irrational or people shouldn't take risks like that. Um, you could think about a case where like your spouse is accused of some crime and the evidence, there's like some evidence they did it, but not totally decisive evidence. And you're like, no, I'm just going to believe my spouse is innocent until I have proof. Um, I don't think that that's always necessarily irrational. And so I think um, these examples show that I think wagering is just an important part of our lives because we're not certain of, of things. We're just not, we're finite agents. There's a lot about the world we don't know and we can't know and we have to make decisions anyway. Um, and so I think that this can just apply in some cases when we're deciding whether to commit our lives to God. And I don't think, I feel like the word wagering might turn people off, but I like to think about the wager as kind of a way that we can maintain our commitment to God, even in light of doubt and even in light of counter evidence. And we can, that commitment can be rational, um, even when we come, like, even when we like don't know the answer to certain things. And I think that's freeing in a way we can be like, Hey, I don't know the answer to this, but I can continue in this commitment. It doesn't make my commitment invalid, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. So, so that's what I would say about that. Yeah. I think it's really helpful just to um, kind of remember that we make wagers like all the time. Like Pascal is obviously we're dealing like with deep questions like the existence of God or the truth of religion, but we make wagers all the time. It's definitely a great point to remember. Um, one last question I have for you is like, someone may say like another more like theological objection is that this may be, you may be um, acting if Christianity is true or Islam is true or whatever, um, or like placing your faith for the wrong reasons because you're just trying to seek some sort of like reward. Uh, especially like in mm -hmm. Christianity, it seemed like more of like we place our faith because we just want to like follow God or we love God rather than like we're seeking some sort of like award or recognition. Mm -hmm. um, so how would you deal with like that kind of objection with regards to uh, Pascal's wager? Yeah, I think that's a really great question. And I think um, kind of my answer to this is basically just going to be like, it depends on what we mean by reward or payoff. So mm -hmm. I think you can definitely take the wager with bad motives. I'm not saying that you like if that's impossible or that all wagering is good motives. That's not my point. But I think bad motives aren't necessary to take the wager. Um, you don't have to just say, um, I just want to avoid hell or I just want to get to heaven. It's I think and actually, I mean, I do still frame it that way, but maybe I should think more about how I frame it because that does kind of lend itself to that kind of thinking. And I don't think 
that's the way you have to think about the wager at all. And this is one reason I really like the way that Mike Rhoda talks about Pascal's wager, because he talks about it as this idea that think about if I pursued this relationship with God and God did actually exist, that would be a really good outcome. I could know God and have communion with God and just have this really valuable thing, you know, a relationship with the creator. Um, And if I didn't pursue that, then I could lose out on a really valuable thing. And so if you make, I guess, the reward, like the relationship with God in and of itself, I, I think that's a much less bad motive than just saying like, I just want to avoid going to hell or something. Um, and I, I think that's a totally legitimate wager. And in fact, that's the wager I like to talk about. And I like to focus on in my papers is this idea that it would be so good if I pursued this relationship with God and God existed. So again, it's not saying that all wagering automatically means it's good motives, but I just don't think Pascal's wager in and of itself, uh, like entails that you have bad mm. motives either. Yeah. So, um, so what we'll do now is um, thank you so much, uh, Liz, for our, um, just your preparation and answering all these questions. Uh, we'll get a little bit of live Q and A. If you have um, questions or super chats, anything like that, uh, we'll be sure to answer these um, in the little the time we have left. Um, the first one here is from Kyle Volmar, um, Plantigas Wugog. He says, "Is Liz a Bayesian in so far <laughs> her probability theorem? If not, why is she not repentant of her sinful ways?" <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. So. What a Bayesian is, um, well, there's different ways of defining it, but the most standard way of defining it is basically that when we assign things to, when we assign probabilities to things, they should obey two rules. These rules have kind of big names. They're called probabilism and conditionalization. Um, so I guess I don't necessarily want to go into all the details, um, but probabilism basically just means that your probabilities should be probabilistically coherent. So if you assign like 0.9 to it will rain tomorrow, then you should assign 0.1 to it won't rain tomorrow, like 90% versus 10%, you know, so they should like match up with each other. And then conditionalization basically just means that you should change those probabilities when you get new evidence in accord to like what that new evidence says. Um, There's complicated philosophical worries about both. And I do have some worries about both. Uh, But I think in general, I think they're both largely correct. So I think um, it's good to kind of be responsive to new evidence. And in in general, our probabilities should respond to new evidence. Um, And I do think we should usually be coherent in the way that uh, probability theories describe. I think the most controversial or one of the most controversial parts of the coherence claim is that you're supposed to assign all necessary truths, probability one, even ones that you don't know if they're necessary truths, like an unproven mathematical theorem that unbeknownst to kind of our current knowledge happens to be true. Um, and so I think a lot of people, so like Goldbach's conjecture, which I actually forgot that was, it's something about like the sum of two primes is something, but it's this unproven mathematical theorem. A lot of people think we should assign that 50-50 because we don't know if it's true or false, but the probability theorems would say, say that we should assign that probability either one or zero, depending on whether it's true or false. So it's kind of, so, so there's a big debate here about what, you know, what the rational thing to do is there. And I do think that's an important challenge. Um, but like I said, in general, um, I would probably call myself a Bayesian. So mm. I hope that's helpful. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Spartan Theology has a question that says, are there non-theistic um, situations that Pascal's wager that could be applied to? It's an interesting question. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, this actually kind of comes back to, I think, like the second to last question where we were just talking about reasons you might take a risk on something like take a risk on yourself 
So, you mm-hmm. know, like take the case where you're talking about where you quit your job, you lose your source of income in order to start a risky new business. You know, it's like maybe the probability that your business actually succeeds is pretty low, like mm-hmm. 0.1 or lower, you know, but because of how good that outcome would be, I think it could be rational for you to quit your job and try to do this. Maybe not always, you know, maybe if the payoff wouldn't be that good or the probability is super, super low. Um, then it wouldn't be rational. But this is kind of a Pascalian situation, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, funny enough, so <laughs> some people have actually asked me about this argument, which not to like get political, but there's this question about mask wearing and whether we should mm-hmm. wear masks. And some people have made this like wager, like, you know, there's a minor inconvenience to wearing a mask, but if it prevents someone from like getting sick and dying, it seems like the risk reward trade-off is worth it. So a couple people have pushed me like, then do you think we should wear masks? And I mean, I probably do. I probably think, you know, we should wear masks, Mm -hmm. even if the evidence doesn't, it's not like a super high probability that it saves someone as long as there's, you know, a good enough chance because it is a minor inconvenience. But, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, so I guess the the point is just, yes, I think there are definitely non-theistic si- situations that have the same structure as Pascal's wager, uh, where it is rational to kind of take a risk, even though there's a low probability. So yeah. good question. I was talking with um, Mike DeVito and he kind of, um, he's mm-hmm. a philosophy, I think he's a PhD now, also played in the NFL, pretty, really cool guy. And he used like a similar kind of idea um, in terms of like climate change, where they basically <laughs> argue that like looking at like the consequences and like the probability of like climate change, climate change being true, we should act even if it's not true, just based off of like similar things as you're talking about here. Um, so it's amazing how much this kind of wager can be applied to in different perspectives. Absolutely. People have applied it to um, abortion. You know, what if, even if there's a small chance that abortion is, you know, killing a being with with moral standing or moral rights or a person, uh, we shouldn't take that risk. People have applied it to um, euthanasia, you know? So there's there's a ton of different um, issues it could be applied to. And I actually don't think that Pascalian reason is gonna, reasoning is gonna be successful in all these situations. It's gonna kind of depend on the details, but I definitely think it's successful in at least some of them, so yeah. yeah. Definitely. Um, another question um, from Kyle here. Actually, we'll do the comment first because they're like right next to each other. He says, thanks to Liz for discussions with me on Facebook lately. They're quite enlightening and it's fun to talk with professional philosophy. Aww, so. Absolutely. I have fun too. <laughs> and now he gives you a really hard question where he says, are you a classical or a neoclassical theist? So, I mean, if you don't, you don't feel pressure to answer if you don't want, if you want to kind of like abstain from it, but um yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, I would say I am not a classical theist, so I am not convinced that divine simplicity is true. So, um, yeah, I guess I don't know if I'm a neoclassical theist or not, um, but I definitely think, I mean, I'm sure there are really, this is not my area of research, and I'm sure there's really good objections to this, but I've always just thought, like, I believe God's a trinity. Like, how is that consistent with divine simplicity? Um, So that's probably a super flat-footed objection to classical theism, but I'm also open to the idea that, like, God has emotions, maybe that God is in time. Um, There's tricky issues that come along with God being in time because because of our best physics, there's some reason to then think that God would also be in space, and I don't think God's in space. So, but but it does kind of seem like, God might be in time. So then, yeah, I don't know. I, I wrestle with this stuff. I wrestle with this stuff, but I'm definitely not, I'm definitely not a classical theist. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, we have a super chat from Nelson Galvin. Thank you so much for your super chat. He says, next time you watch the Shawshank Redemption, please keep Pascal's wager in mind. 
Very interesting. I'm, tr- you know, it has been a long time since I've seen that movie, although everyone loves it. It's very good. But I know it involves people breaking out of prison. Mm-hmm. I just haven't seen it in like 10 years. But I'm wondering if, I mean, one way you could think it applies is like, uh, you know, there's like a, a small chance that we actually get out of prison, but because of how good it would be if we actually escaped, mm-hmm. it's worth it to at least try. I don't know if that's what he's thinking but <laughs> i think that sounds yeah. right i mean i was actually i've been at the prison um not being arrested just kind of like touring um <laughs> sure <times> where, no. <laughs> that's the secret that i can have like a christian apologetics channel is i don't can't tell people i've been arrested at the shop <laughs> but i've been to the prison where they filmed this in ohio a couple of times and it's a really cool place um so it doesn't really work to the wager in shawshank but definitely we're visiting so cool. is it like a museum now Mm-hmm. Or is it? Oh, like, yeah. So it's like a really old prison, and they kind of like shut it down, and they're about to destroy it, and then they sold it to like some charity for a dollar, and you can like tour it, and it's really cool. So it's like an old prison. You can get like cool like old prison photos there. So yeah. Wow. So. Who knew there was like fun stuff to do in Ohio? I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> Just kidding. Exactly. <laughs> that sounds awesome, though. Yeah. <laughs> um, we have a question from BDS, which says, "I wonder if um, Christians have a high." if it, Christians have to have a high confidence or is 50-50 okay, it seems to me that maybe there's a requirement for high confidence. So really good question here. Kind of like, how do we look at this, like quantifying like our, our belief in God with like, what does it mean to like be a Christian? Like how much confidence should we have um, in terms of all these things? Great stuff. Yeah. No, I think I think this is such a good question. I actually did a whole live stream on this. Um, so if you go to my website on my public philosophy page, it's the one with Sean Hurst. I think it's called... It has like uh, confidence or maybe certainty in the title. Um, mm-hmm. I forget, but I did a whole live stream on this. I think it's a really interesting question. So the main thing that I kind of pushed there is that I think commitment is more important than confidence. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean that confidence isn't isn't good. I'm not saying like it's bad to be confident or anything like that. But I think when we really, really emphasize confidence and belief, we miss out on like the other thing that's really important for rational action is desire and thinking it would be good if God exists and wanting a relationship with God. Um, So maybe to take a step back really quick, like when you think about why you act, it's a combination of what you believe and what you desire. So if you're hungry and you desire food and you believe there's food in the fridge, then you go to the fridge to get food, right? So it's both the belief and the desire that sort of play the role to make that action rational. And I think in the same way, when we think about what makes a commitment to God rational, um, a lot of people in the church today really emphasize the belief, the confidence part, um, and they miss out that also a really important part of rational action is that desire, that desire to know God, that desire, that thinking it would be good, you know, God's existence would be a good thing, um, you know, So they kind of miss out on like the value part and they just think about like the epistemic part. Mm. And so um, what underlies our commitments, especially our our action oriented commitments is a combination of both of these things. And the high confidence is really good, but I I think we also shouldn't miss out. Like like James says, like even demons believe in shudder. And I think that's because Mm. they don't have that desire for God to have Mm. a relationship with God. So I like to emphasize the importance of the commitment over the importance of the high confidence, like the high Mm. confidence is great too but um in my view the commitment is the most important thing so yeah i think it'd be tricky to say like oh i'm 90 percent sure or 50 percent or 80 percent sure that christianity is true definitely a challenge um mm-hmm. 
super chat from John. Thank you so much for your super chat. Um, the, the apologetics. He said, I'm going to risk $10 and see if anything happens. Just kidding. God bless you, Zach and Dr. Aw, thank you. That's very kind of you. <laughs> Thanks, John. Um, shout out to John. Great YouTube channel. Um, and he actually has a question too, which says, um, is courage and confidence the same? If not, which is more rational? Really interesting question. Um, do you have any thoughts? I like that. So, yeah, I think that they can be connected, but maybe I should clarify. The way that I am thinking about confidence is I'm thinking about it as kind of how likely you think something is. So if you check the forecast and you see there's a 90% chance of rain tomorrow, then you should be 90% confident that it's going to rain tomorrow. So it's sort of like the probability that you assign to certain things. That's how I'm thinking about confidence. And confidence in this sense, it changes as our evidence changes. If we get, if we then check the forecast and like, oh, it's only 60% tomorrow, our confidence will go down. Or if it's like 95, our confidence will go up. You know what I mean? So confidence is, it's, it's, it's related to belief, but in my view, distinct, but it's a belief like type thing. Courage, on the other hand, um, is often considered a moral virtue. So in some way, it's actually very different than confidence. Um, it's sort of something that virtuous people, it's a character trait that virtuous people have. <laughs> um, I'm not a virtue ethicist. I'm not an expert on virtues. But um, I think the way that people often think about things like courage is it's not necessarily belief-like. It's more like a character trait that you have if you're a certain kind of, of moral agent. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think, though, that they're connected in the sense that if you're confident about certain things, then that will probably lead you to be more courageous. So if your spouse is accused of a crime and you're very confident they're innocent, then you'll probably be more courageous to defend them and say they didn't do it. They didn't do it. Mm -hmm. You know, so they are connected in that sense. But I think um, confidence is in the sense I'm talking about is more like belief and courage is uh, kind of this moral thing. So mm -hmm. I hope that kind of clears it up a little bit yeah i think that was great um a couple more questions here one from susan which says did you get a chance to meet tim and lydia, lydia please ask i'm assuming she means <laughs> tim and lydia mcgrew um i have met i have met tim mcgrew before um at a conference a long time ago but i've never met lydia um and we're actually uh my husband and i are actually in florida right now because of covid um we are ryerson the school we work at is fully remote and they kind of said we can go anywhere so we're just temporarily down here until kind of COVID blows over. So, so yeah, I have met Tim, but not Lydia. <laughs> How's life in Florida right now? Uh, warm, <laughs> which is amazing. That's why we, that's one of the main reasons we came down here. We're just so sick of the North and, and the winters and we're seeing that. pictures. Yeah. I was about to say, we're seeing pictures of snow and we're just like, uh, we spent Thanksgiving at the beach. It was like 80 <laughs> degrees. So it was so nice. <laughs> oh my gosh. I yeah. am a little jealous. Um, probably the last <laughs> question we have here, um, really hard question from Cynthia finding truth that says, um, these doctors know that she is awesome. Oh, you're so nice. Thanks. I really appreciate it. Yeah. S Sandy has an awesome channel too. Uh, I was on his channel. We talked about faith actually. So you should check his channel out as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Sandy's awesome. Um, there's one more question here. It's not popping up for me yet, uh, but it talks about how was your experience in the planning a conference in 2014 with, um, I'm guessing with Alvin planning, of course. 
Oh yeah. Um, so that's, it's funny. I was a first year grad student actually, and it was one of the first philosophy conferences I ever went to. Um, and so I had known about Planiga for, for many years at that point. Um, and I was flying to Texas from South Bend and Planiga at that time, and maybe he still does, lived in Grand Rapids. And I can't remember what city it was, maybe it was Detroit, but we both ended up on the same connecting flight. I think we were on two flights together. Huh. Uh, and so at one point I was like sitting across the aisle from Planiga and then we were like sitting in the airport together. And I was just like, oh my gosh, it was like the first time I had ever met Planiga. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, the like, you know, eager, like first year grad student, I was like, do you like Pascal's wager? And he was like, sure. <laughs> he was like, you know, I think he was just kind of like saying it to like, I don't know. So, but it was cool. I got to meet Planiga there. Um, it was actually a really cool conference. It was on a bunch of different arguments for God's existence. So I really enjoyed that. But yeah, that was my like nerdy story about me getting all fangirly over Planiga. So. <laughs> Fangirl or fanguide over like LeBron James, but then philosophers do over like Alvin Planiga. So. <laughs> I would also definitely be a fangirl over LeBron James and uh, a lot of NBA players. In fact, most NBA players. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. Like, player, it's like, oh my yeah. gosh. No. Yeah. Um, totally. Well, I mean, that's about all the questions we have. So um, just thank you so much for your time. Is there any kind of like last thoughts, anything you want to bring up before we start to wrap things up here? Yeah. Um, no, I think that was great. I, I really appreciate you having me on. Um, and I think one thing that I, I liked that kind of came out in the interview is the reason that I think kind of Pascal's wager and then faith are related in certain ways, because mm -hmm. they do kind of show how a Christian commitment can be rational, even in the face of a lot of doubt. Um, and so I'm actually working on a paper right now where I'm sort of arguing that a lot of people that take the wager, you can see them as actually having genuine faith. Um, and, the, and take the wager in the sense that I'm interested in where you're sort of uh, taking it because you think it would be such a good thing if you committed to God and God actually did exist. So mm. that's sort of the, the case that I'm focusing on. But yeah, I think it's cool to kind of think about the connections between Pascal's wager and faith. And I'm glad that, that kind of came out in some of our discussion. So. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Liz. I'd encourage everyone you can go follow Liz at itsjackson.com or is it done? Yep. So my website is liz-jackson.com. And then um, I have a page on there that's research. So it's more like scholarly articles if you're interested in those and you can, there's links to download those. And then there's also a page that's called public philosophy that's sort of interviews and videos, things that are kind of more accessible. Um, and I've also been posting some stuff on my YouTube channel, which is also linked on that public philosophy page. So I have like a playlist about epistemology and a video on faith. And I'll probably be putting some stuff on Pascal's Wager up there, but nothing up there right now. But yeah, you should feel free to go yeah. check that stuff out too. So. Encourage you to check out Liz's stuff. Great, so much great stuff. Um, thank you so much for your time, Liz. I'd encourage everyone after you go follow Liz. If you're new to it here in Apologetics, be sure to subscribe. Um, you can leave us a like, you can leave us a review, anything that it really helps. Uh, thank you everyone who tuned in today. Really appreciate you guys. Um, big thank you to JMD Apologetics and Nelson for the super chats. Really appreciate that. And as always, uh, thank you to our supporters. We're like 80% funded, so your support means a lot. Um, but Liz, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And it's been so much fun. Um, so thank yeah. you. Thanks so much for having me and tune in next time for our live basketball game, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you I'm sure you will. We'll have to figure out how to do that. Cause that will be a lot of fun. Um, Might have to be a post COVID thing. <laughs> I hope we can get redemption for the 76ers with what happened in Toronto a few years ago.
<laughs> Thank you. Totally. All Thank right. You.